Thank you for checking out our sermon here at Hope Church. We exist to connect people to live the life of a Jesus follower. We are excited that you came across this message and are tuning in. Just want to make you aware of a couple things before we get to the sermon. First, we'd love to connect with you. You can follow us on our social networks by searching at Hope Church LV. Also, be sure to check out our website, hopechurchonline.com. There, you have access to other resources, information about who we are and where we're going as a church, as well as an opportunity to give to what God is doing here. Once again, thanks for checking out our sermon here at Hope Church. Please let us know if there's any questions you have or any way we can come alongside you and your family. Enjoy the message. Since January, we have been together as a faith family on a journey, really seeking to answer two questions. The first question that we began to look at early in January was, what does a faithful follower of Jesus look like? What does it look like to faithfully follow Jesus? And we answered that question by digging into the Gospels and understanding the life of Jesus. And we said that following Jesus is really all about, what's the word? Relationships, right? Following Jesus is all about relationships, first and foremost. Following Jesus is about an intimate love relationship with God. And let me just stop right there as we bring this to a close today. If you miss that, you miss everything. Christianity is not a religion. It's a relationship. It's a personal relationship that you and I have been invited into by the God of the universe through His Son, Jesus Christ. And following Jesus before it is anything else, it is living moment by moment, day by day, out of the overflow of that intimate love relationship with God. But following Jesus is not just about a relationship with God. It's also about our relationship with one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. You cannot live out your relationship with God apart from fellowship with your brothers and sisters in Christ. But following Jesus is also about a third relationship. It's about a relationship with people that don't know God at all. You see, God brought us into relationship with himself. And out of the overflow of our relationship with him, we live in fellowship relationships with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And then that spills out of our lives into relationships with people that don't know God at all, engaging them so that they too can hear about Christ through our lives and be brought into relationship with God. The words that we use are abide, connect, and share. Abiding in Christ personally and daily. That's our relationship with God. Connecting in community. That's large group and small group. And then sharing in the mission locally and globally. But then after about seven weekends, we ask a second very important question. How do I develop these relationships and grow as a follower of Jesus? If that's what a follower of Jesus looks like, how do I grow into that? Pastor, we we did a good job of explaining, here's where I'm supposed to be. Here's what it looks like. 
But how do I get from where I am today to what I want to become as a follower of Christ? And we answered that question by, by making this statement or asking another question. Now, how do you develop any relationship in your life? And there's really a one-word answer to that, and it's the word time. The only way to develop any relationship in our lives is by choosing to invest time in that relationship. You could even say it this way. Every relationship in your life is what it is based on how you and I have chosen to invest quality time in that relationship. If you want to change the course or the direction of a relationship in your life, let me tell you what you do. You begin to invest quality time in that relationship, and it'll change the course of that relationship. Well, following Jesus is about three primary relationships. And here's what we uncovered. That as you look through the New Testament, there are four key ways that you and I can choose to invest our time to grow these three relationships. I've given it to you as a, kind of a diagram, this circle and we're answering that question, how does a Jesus follower invest their time? And we've given you four ways from Scripture that you and I must choose to invest our time if we're going to grow in our relationship with God, with each other, and with the world. Let's review the three that we've covered already. Number one is God time. Read this definition off the screen with me. Time spent daily alone in fellowship with God. We've said it over and over again to the point that I hope you're tired of hearing me say it because if you're tired of hearing me say it, that means you finally heard it, all right? Here's what I'm saying. There is no shortcut. There is no substitute in your life for time alone daily with the Father. Every one of us, more than we need anything else in our lives, we need intimate time alone daily with the Father. One of the tools that we've given you to help you begin to do that is this devotional guide called the Life of a Jesus Follower Devotional Guide. Now, some of you, right out of the gate, were all excited and you jumped into this day one. And if you opened yours today about day 12 or 13, you have a lot of blanks after that, right? So here's what I want to challenge you to do. Pick it back up, set aside some time, let this be a starting point for you to time alone with God. Don't give up, don't quit, stay in the game. Some of you got here after we'd already unpacked this piece of it. Listen, we still have these available at our resource center. I encourage you to grab one of these and use it to begin time alone with God daily. We all need that. I said it when we talked about this principle, but my spiritual and emotional health rises and falls based on my time alone daily with Jesus. No shortcut. Second one we talked about was gather time. Let's read this one together. Time spent weekly gathering in worship with my church. That's what we're doing right now. The third one we talked about last weekend was group time. Let's read it together. Time spent consistently in community with a small group from my church. What did we say? Life change happens in community, right? So here's the fourth one we're going to unpack this morning. Go time. Let's read this together. Time spent annually going on mission cross-culturally. Some of you are already thinking... I was with you on the first three, but this just got really uncomfortable. 
just hang on, take a deep breath. Let me unpack it, all right, before, we, before you check out. Let's talk about what this means. And before we dig into it in the scriptures, let me remind you. What we did is we went to the, the Gospels and looked at the life of Jesus. And we saw these three relationships in the life of Jesus. And now what we've done is we've looked into the life of Jesus to find examples of how Jesus modeled these four kinds of time for us. And we've seen them. Every one of these times you see modeled in the life of Jesus. Well, go time is no different. As a matter of fact, go time is probably the easiest to find in the Scripture because Jesus lived his entire life on mission with God. But one of the stories in particular that unpacks this principle of cross-cultural sharing in the mission is in John chapter 4. You don't have to turn there, but in John chapter 4, we find Jesus and the disciples, and ironically, they're again on search for food, if you can imagine, right? The disciples, how many times they panic about having no bread, and here they are again. In John chapter 4, and there's no food, and so the disciples leave Jesus all by himself, and they go hunting for food. They go into the village to try to find something to eat. They're looking for the closest jack-in-the-box or McDonald's or something. They can pick Jesus something up and bring it back so he can eat. While they're doing that, Jesus meets a woman at a well, and the woman is from Samaria. Now, doesn't mean much to you and me, but you got to understand, Jesus is from the Jewish people. And there was a little bit of an issue between the Jews and the Samaritans. We won't unpack all of it, but just needless to say, they didn't really get along. There was a major cultural racial divide between the Jews and the Samaritans. They didn't like each other. As a matter of fact, if a Jew was going to go from Judea to Galilee, Samaria was in between Judea and Galilee, but most Jews would take the long route and go all the way around Samaria to avoid it so they didn't have to come into contact with the Samaritan. So here's Jesus at a well, and there's a Samaritan woman, and Jesus engages her in conversation, crossing this cultural barrier of the gospel, and it catches her off guard. Because she even says to him, what are, what are you doing being a Jew doing speaking to me, a Samaritan woman? It just didn't happen in their culture. And Jesus began to dialogue with her and he ultimately shares the gospel with her the, about living water that he came to bring. And she gives her life to Christ and she goes back to her village in Samaria. And by the time the disciples get back, here comes this woman leading all these Samaritans to come meet Jesus. And the disciples get there and they're panicked like, what is going on? And Jesus says this to him. Look on the screen. John chapter 4 verse 34. He said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields that they are white for harvest. And here's what he was talking about. That scene of all these Samaritans coming out of this village, coming to give their lives to Christ. Jesus looked up and he saw all of these people walking towards him. And he says, man, the fields, they are white for harvest. God is on the move. The kingdom is being expanded. Jesus wanted to see the gospel penetrate every culture, not just his culture. 
Jesus lived his life on mission with God to expand the kingdom to every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. And this was so much the passion of Jesus' life that after his death, burial, and resurrection, in Acts chapter 1, Jesus spends 40 days with his followers before he ascends back to heaven. If you have your Bible, open it to Acts chapter 1. We're going to read a couple of verses here, and then we're going to dive into some principles. Acts chapter 1, verse 3. Look what it says. To these he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking of the things concerning, say it out loud, the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. Here's what this means. For 40 days, Jesus is with his disciples before he ascends back to heaven. And for 40 days, Jesus only talked about one thing, the kingdom of God. Well, what's the kingdom of God? Remember, we looked at a definition a couple of weeks ago. Let me put it back up on the screen. The kingdom of God is God's sovereign activity in the world, resulting in people being in right relationship with himself. It's the big picture of what God is doing all over the world. God has a global, eternal mission of redeeming a people unto himself from every tribe, every tongue, every people, and every nation. And Jesus, after the death, burial, and resurrection, spends 40 days with his disciples, and all he talks about is this glorious, eternal, global purpose of God, that God is redeeming a people to himself from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation, so much so that it's almost like he tells his disciples, if you forget everything else I've said, don't forget this. God is on a mission. And then he gets to verse 8. And he gives them the plan for how the mission is going to be carried out. And this is where I want to focus. Let's read verse 8. But you, if you were here last weekend, that's y'all. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria. And even to the remotest part of the earth. And from Acts 1.8. Through the end of the book of Acts, the rest of this book is the story of the mission of God being accomplished through this plan that he laid out in Acts chapter 1 verse 8. As you read through the book of Acts, these disciples live out being witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest parts of the earth. But don't miss this. In one sense, the book of Acts is still being written. Because in obedience to Acts 1.8, you and I, are still carrying out the mission. They just handed the baton. 
from one generation to the next generation to the next generation to the next generation. And guess what? Now our generation has grabbed the baton. And following in the footsteps of these men and women in the book of Acts, you and I are carrying out the great global eternal redemptive purpose of God of being witnesses in Las Vegas and the western United States and to the ends of the earth. It's still being written. You're a part of this. We're not just reading something in the historical past. We are reading about something that is happening in our lives today as we live out this life of a Jesus follower. So let me try to unpack it for you in three statements. Here's the first one. I have a responsibility to tell the story of Jesus. I want you to read that out loud with me because, again, I want you to hear yourself say this. Let's read it. One, two, three. I have a responsibility to tell the story of Jesus. Wait a minute. Isn't that the job for the preachers and the missionaries? That's what they do, right? Well, look what he said in verse 8. You. It's you, plural. There was more than just preachers and missionaries gathered here on this day. It was just normal, everyday, average people. About 120 of them gathered here. You, all of you, shall, listen to this, be witnesses. That's important. Notice what he didn't say. He didn't say you should do some witnessing. He said you shall Be witnesses. Here's what that means. Witnessing is not what I do for Jesus. A witness is what I am as a follower of Jesus. When you became a follower of Jesus, you became a witness. So here's what that means. The question today is not do you want to be a witness. The question is what kind are you? A good one or a bad one? Because if you're a follower of Jesus, guess what? You are a witness. You will be my witnesses. So that raises a couple of important questions. Number one, what is a witness? What does this mean that I am? Well, the Greek word for witness here is a word that means one who has personal information or knowledge of something. I like the way Warren Wiersbe said it. He said a witness is someone who tells what he or she has seen or heard. Listen to what John Phillips said. I think it brings some clarity. Look at this quote on the screen. They were not called to be lawyers and argue the case before the minds of men. A lot of us need to hear that. It's not your job. That was the work of the Holy Spirit. They were called to be witnesses. It's not my job to save people. It's not my job to convince people. It's not my job to persuade them. Jesus said, your role is to be a witness. What's a witness? Somebody who tells what they have personal knowledge and information about. Well, what were they to be witnesses of? Look what he said. You shall be my witnesses. Literally, it means witnesses of me. Here's what that means. They were simply called to give an accurate testimony about the truth of Jesus Christ from personal experience. Now, 
Here's what that means. You need to have a testimony about a personal experience in your own life with Jesus. There are a whole lot of people caught up in church that have never gotten past church to Jesus. Being around Christianity and being a Christian are not the same thing. Do you have a personal experience? Listen, do you know that Jesus Christ has come to live inside of you? Have you had a moment in your life when you surrendered the control of your life to Jesus Christ and embraced His forgiveness and His cleansing and you were born again into the family of God? Listen, if you know that experience, all you got to do is tell somebody. Just tell somebody. That's what being a Listen, you don't have to have every theological question answered. You don't have to know every chapter in the Bible. You don't have to be able to quote a thousand verses. All you got to know is, I once was blind, but now I see. And when you've had an experience with Christ, then you can tell somebody about Jesus. Well, well how do I share the truth about Jesus? Let me, let me give you a little outline. We don't have time for you to fill this outline out this morning. I don't want you to take this home and practice it. Here's the little outline. Three statements. Before I met Jesus, I met Jesus when and since I met Jesus. You need to think about your story, your encounter with Christ in light of those three statements. Before I met Jesus, I met Jesus when, since I met Jesus. You should be able to write your story down under those three headings and share that with somebody else. Let me give you, as you, you jot down some notes about that, let me give you some guidelines as you think about this. Number one, make it personal. Don't preach. When you're sharing your story, don't tell them about them. Tell them about you. It's not your loss. It was I was lost. It's not you need to be forgiven. I needed to be forgiven. Make it personal. Number two, make it short. You ought to be able to do this in three to five minutes. Nobody's looking for your 45-minute sermon, all right? That's my job. That's not your job. You're a witness. I'm a preacher. (laughs) Number three, keep Christ central. This is important. Highlight what He has done, not what you used to do. We spend too much time talking about what we used to be. Listen, they got that part. They need to know just enough of that to know you can identify with them. But what they need to know is the part they don't know. And that's the difference Jesus can make. Here's the fourth thing. Use the Word of God. The Bible will add power to your story because it's the sword of the Spirit. Let me give you an example. Here's my story. Before I met Jesus, I was around Christianity. A lot. I grew up in a Christian family. My mom and dad were first generation Christians. They raised me around the gospel. So I spent a good part of my life in church. Thinking that that would bring satisfaction. Tried to be a good person. Tried to do the right things. Wasn't perfect. Got off in some stuff as a teenager and college student like just about everybody else. Some stuff that today I'm not proud of, but 
the bottom line is I could never find something that would satisfy me. I tried church, tried friends, tried relationships, tried athletics, tried partying, tried all that stuff. I couldn't find what could satisfy me. There was a longing inside of me for something more. Then I met Jesus when I was a freshman in college at the University of North Alabama. One night in my apartment, I remembered a verse of scripture that I'd heard growing up where Jesus said, I have come that they could have life and have it abundantly. And I didn't know all that that meant, but let me tell you what I did know. Whatever that meant, I didn't have. I didn't have abundant life. I knew, hadn't heard enough about the gospel and who Jesus is, that I knew that what I needed to do was surrender the control of my life to Christ. So I knelt down beside my bed in Florence, Alabama, and I did what Romans 10, 9, and 10 says when the Bible says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you shall be saved. I knelt down beside my bed, and I did that. I cried out to Jesus. I surrendered the control of my life to Him. I believed in my heart, and right then, God saved me. And since I met Jesus, let me just tell you, I have found a peace. I have found a contentment. I have found a satisfaction that I couldn't find in anything else. That abundant life that Jesus promised, that abundance, that significance, that sufficiency that Christ said. Listen, I'm not saying that I'm perfect now. I still make mistakes. I still have struggles. I still have areas in my life that I have to deal with. But listen, here's the point. I don't have to do it on my own anymore. Christ has come to live inside of me. This God that, that, that sent His Son into the world to die. This God that raised His Son from the dead. Now by His Spirit lives in me. And Christ in me is living through me and conforming me to the image of Christ. And it's giving me meaning and satisfaction and contentment and joy and peace like nothing I have ever known. That's my story. Now before I move past this, Let's just stop for just a minute. You got a story? I'm going to ask everybody in the room for just a minute to bow your heads. And don't get excited. I'm not finished. We're just pausing for a minute. <laughs> just bow your head. Do you know Jesus? Your story doesn't need to be my story. Doesn't need to be somebody else's story. It needs to be your story. But do you have a story? Listen, if you don't know Jesus Christ this morning, maybe you're living right where I was. Maybe you don't have meaning, significance, and purpose, and you're trying to find it in everything under the sun. And I'm telling you today, as a person that's experienced the life-changing power of Jesus, Jesus will bring satisfaction to your life. Not perfection, satisfaction. If you want to know Jesus, right where you're sitting right now, you can do what I did in my apartment. The Bible says in Romans chapter 10, whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. I invite you right where you're sitting to do what I did as a freshman in college over 25 years ago. To just talk with God. You say, what do I say? 
You can say this. Say, Lord, I'm a sinner. I've sinned against you, God. And I know that my sin separates me from you. But I know that you love me. And Jesus, I invite you into my life. I surrender the control of my life to you. I turn from my sin. And I receive you as the Lord and Savior of my life. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. Nobody looking around right now but me. Anybody in the room today for the very first time? I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you out. But for the very first time, you just prayed with me and gave your life to Christ. Anybody in the room, just hold your hand up for a minute. God bless you. Thank you. Anybody else? Thank you. Somebody else? God bless you. Thank you, ma'am. God bless you. That's so awesome. Listen, we're rejoicing with you today. But hey, I'm going to tell you something better than that. The Bible says the angels in heaven are rejoicing today. A party just broke out in heaven because you gave your life to Jesus. Everybody look this way. Hey, that's the power of a story. You see what happened? You just tell your story, and a bunch of people just gave their lives to Christ. That could happen all the time in our lives if we just tell our story. Now, if you just raised your hand and you gave your life to Christ, here I'm going to ask you to do something after the service. When the service ends, out in this lobby, to my right and your left, there's a center called Next Steps. If you just gave your life to Jesus, when this service ends, immediately you make your way back to that center and you just tell them this, I prayed with Pastor Vance today. That's all you got to say. That's all you got to say. I prayed with Pastor Vance today. And they're going <coughs> to walk you through some next steps for you on this journey of following Jesus. So if you did that with me today, Listen, don't you leave here without going to that next step center. We want to, you didn't make a decision, you began a journey, and we want to walk with you. If, you're, if you agree with that, Hope Church, let them know. Tell them amen, right? Amen. amen. All right, so here's what we've said so far. I have a responsibility to tell the story of Jesus. Let's look at the next step. I have a responsibility to tell the story of Jesus cross-culturally. If being his witnesses was not overwhelming enough, Jesus then outlined the scope of their responsibility. Get this. He says, hey guys, here's the plan. You're going to be my witnesses. In Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and the remotest part of the earth. They didn't have airplanes. They didn't have cell phones. They didn't have the internet. have any of that stuff. And yet Jesus said, here is your responsibility. Imagine Jesus standing right here today looking you and me in the eyes and saying, after 40 days, 
of talking about nothing but God's global redemptive plan of every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. He says, all right, here's the plan. You're going to tell the story. All over the world. And we didn't read it, but the next verses say, then he disappeared. <laughs> we call it the ascension. <laughs> Here's what that means. <laughs> we've read it so much, we've forgotten how dramatic it is. But Jesus drops this grenade in the room of, you're the plan, go to the world, and then he vanishes. We have a responsibility. John MacArthur said it this way. The sphere for witnessing is as extensive as the kingdom. All the world. That was and is the mission for the church until Jesus comes. Some people read Acts 1.8 and they hear it wrong. They think Jesus said, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, then... Judea and Samaria, then the remotest part of the earth. If you hear it that way, we do all the work here in Las Vegas, and when we're done winning everybody here, then we go to Judea and Samaria, then, but that's not what he said. It's an interesting Greek construction here. He uses two prepositions that link, or two conjunctions that link this entire phrase together. Meaning that it's all at the same time. It's both and. Both in Jerusalem and at the same time, Judea and Samaria and. Sometimes in churches you hear people say, well, why are we getting so involved about people on the other side of the world when we got lost people right here in our own city? <laughs> Let me tell you why. Here's the answer. Because Jesus said so. If you have a problem with that strategy, take it up with him. It's his plan. We didn't come up with it. He said Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. We can begin to share in God's mission right where we are. But we cannot fulfill our responsibility to engage in God's mission without being intentional to tell the story of Jesus cross-culturally. Did you catch that? We can begin to tell the story where we are, but we cannot finish it without going cross-culturally. Let me give you a definition of the word culture. Culture is the characteristic features of everyday existence shared by people in a place. That's what a culture is. It's people that are like us. They look like, act like, talk like, believe like, behave like us. Here's what Jesus says. We must take the gospel and we must go across cultural barriers. We have a responsibility to cross social cultural barriers. For example, things like race, beliefs, behaviors. That's Judea and Samaria. That's why he highlighted those two. Those two were very, dis they were very close to each other, Judea and Samaria. You didn't really know where one stopped and the other one started, but they were very different cultures. And he was reminding them that we have a responsibility to cross cultural barriers with the gospel. It's one of the reasons I love this fellowship so much, because as you look around us, we are a multicultural expression of the gospel. Listen, that is not a new way of doing church. It is the way the church began, and it is the way the church should always be. 
When you read, in the, there's a buzzword out there today about multicultural ministry. But listen, in Acts chapter 2, there were 16 different language groups born into the church in Jerusalem right out of the gate. It began multicultural. And so where the gospel is healthy and thriving in a city, the church should reflect the city and be a multicultural expression of the gospel. But also we're to cross cultural barriers that are created by geography and language. Not just by race and beliefs and behaviors. That's that word remotest. The word remotest is a word that in the Greek language literally means extreme. There are 196 nations on planet earth. But of the 196 nations, there are over 11,000 different people groups. A people group is a group of people that have the same language, culture, history, customs, and family identities. Of the 11,000 people groups on planet earth, 6,793 of those people groups are unreached. Here's what the word unreached means. They're less than 2% Christian and have little or no access to the gospel in their language. It represents 1.5 billion people on planet earth. If you and I this morning were going to count to 1.5 billion, it would take us 55 and a half years to count to that number. There are 1.5 billion people on planet earth that have little or no access to the gospel. What's the plan? You and me. I have a responsibility to take the gospel cross-culturally. You say, well, how do we do this? Let me give you some examples of how we do this. Number one, strategic opportunities through your church. As a church, we are going to create opportunities to invite you to join with us as a church in crossing cultures with the gospel. We're going to give you opportunities. For example, some of those opportunities are going to be locally. We have some incredible ministries right here in our city where we are engaging in crossing cultures with the gospel locally. We work with Martin Hagani reaching Persians here in Las Vegas. We work with Shabazz Khan reaching Urdu-speaking peoples here in Las Vegas. We work with Eric and Vicki McDaniel that are reaching out to refugees here in Las Vegas. We can mobilize somewhere between 50 and 100 people a month out of our fellowship. They never leave Las Vegas, but they engage in reaching across cultural barriers with the gospel right here in our own city through doing things like coming alongside and helping teach English as a second language by, by, by providing transportation to and from appointments, by developing community gardens, by, by getting involved in outreach events. All of these are right here in our own city, and we can begin to engage in the gospel. Did you know that in Las Vegas alone, there are 425 people? people groups represented in our city. In our city, there's at least one family from 149 different unreached people groups in our own city. You can right here in Las Vegas begin to use your your time to invest in crossing cultures with the gospel right here locally. We're going to give you some opportunities to do that. But then there are opportunities nationally. We're going to be releasing in the next 12 months 10 to 15 trips with our church where you can go work with church plants here in North America. And in these different church plants from Hawaii to California to Portland, you can engage in crossing into other cultures with the gospel. We're going to provide trips globally in the next 12 to 15 months, 10 to 15 different trips going to different places like Ghana, Central America, Southeast Asia, Africa, all over the world. 
Others will be added to this list locally, nationally, and globally. We're going to give you strategic opportunities right here in our city, across North America, and around the world where you can choose to invest your time to cross cultures with the gospel. Let me tell you another way you can do this. You can do it through relational opportunities God provides through your life. I told you these peoples are all around us right here in Las Vegas. At the early part of the service, we commissioned three mission teams headed to Ghana. We're involved in a relationship <coughs> there now where seven new churches have begun. They're calling themselves Hope Church. They're, they're, they're following the life of a Jesus follower paradigm. There's eight or nine more churches about to be started. All of that happening through missionaries that we partner with there. Gary and Seaham that I introduced to you a moment ago. You know how Gary and Seaham got connected to Hope? You know how they heard about the life of a Jesus follower and this devotional guide and all those tools that they've been taking? You know how that happened? A lady in our church was working at Brighton Jewelry Store down at Caesars Palace. Gary and Seaham walk in as customers, and she invites them to church. That's it. Next thing you know, we're in the middle of a church planting movement in West Africa that's right on the border of the unreached people groups in Burkina Faso. But it happened by somebody just using their relationships every day around them to join in what God's doing by crossing cultures with the gospel. Give you another way you can do this. Vocational opportunities created through intentionality. What does that mean? Every one of you have jobs and skills and passions. And we live in a world today that is connected like never before. Many of you have jobs and skills and passions that allow you to connect with other cultures. It's about beginning to be intentional using that job skill. You ever thought that the reason God gave you that job that's connected globally is because God wanted to use that job as a stream through which he took the gospel to the other side of the world? I know what some of you are thinking this morning. There's no way I can do this. I am not trained. I am not equipped. I don't have the ability Well, let me give you the final statement this morning. I have been empowered by the Holy Spirit to carry out my responsibility to tell the story of Jesus. Do you hear how verse 8 opened? You shall receive power. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, And you shall be my witnesses. The word power is a word that that always means capable or being able or having the ability. And here's the point. God has given us all the power we need in the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit to accomplish God's global mission. We already have all the power we need. I have responsibility to tell the story. I have a responsibility to tell the story cross-culturally. And I've been empowered by the Holy Spirit to tell the story. Here's what Jim Simbola said. Look at this quote and I'll finish. If we want to spread the gospel and see Christ glorifying conversions, if we want to see breakthroughs in difficult, even seemingly impossible situations, we must have more power from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit wasn't sent so that all of us or excuse me, the Holy Spirit was sent so that all of us, whether or not we're, we're in formal ministry, could reach out to humanity and rely on a power beyond ourselves. If you and I are going to grow as followers of Jesus, we need God time. 
We need gather time. We need group time. But we need to choose to invest our time in go time, crossing cultures with the gospel. Now, we've been unpacking this since the beginning of January. And now what I want to do is I want us to really focus for the next few moments about a challenge that we want to give you. And I want you to turn your eyes towards the screen. And I want you to watch a little video that we've been working on that we put together that will really summarize this challenge. And then I want to come back and invite you to accept this challenge. So watch this video. At Hope Church, we exist to connect people to live the life of a Jesus follower. But what does a Jesus follower look like? To answer that question, we need to know what the life of Jesus looks like. Because following Jesus is not me living for Jesus, it's Jesus living his life in and through me. As we study Jesus in the New Testament, we find that his life was all about relationships. First, his relationship with the Father, Second, his relationship with his disciples. And third, his relationship with the people who didn't know God at all. So what does the life of a Jesus follower look like? Answer, relationships. At Hope, we use three key words to describe these relationships. First, abide. A Jesus follower abides in Christ personally and daily. Second, connect. A Jesus follower connects in community in large group and small group. Third, share. A Jesus follower shares in the mission locally and globally. The life of a Jesus follower is all about relationships. So how do you deepen these three relationships and grow as a follower of Jesus? Answer, the same way you deepen any relationship. It's time. How do you invest your time as a Jesus follower to deepen your relationship with God, your relationship with other believers, and your relationship with the world? We believe there are four strategic ways that you and I can choose to invest our time that grows all three of these relationships. God time. Time spent daily alone in fellowship with God. Gather time. Time spent weekly gathering in worship with my church. Group time. Time spent consistently in community with a small group from my church. Go time. Time spent annually going on mission cross-culturally. As you invest your time in these ways, we believe you will deepen your walk with God, grow in community with your brothers and sisters in Christ, and engage in God's global mission in greater ways. So you may be asking, where do I start? Well, you start small. It's been said that the journey of a thousand miles begins with one step. So we want to introduce you to your first step. We're calling it the 5% line. 1% of your day, approximately 15 minutes in God time daily. 1% of your week, approximately an hour and a half in gather time weekly. 1% of your month, approximately seven hours in group time consistently. And 2% of your year, approximately seven days in go time annually. We are convinced that if you embrace the 5% life as a starting point, the other 95% of your life will be changed forever as you abide in Christ, connect in community, and share in the mission. So there's the challenge. And I want you to think about 
the significance of what we're talking about. It's just a starting place. 1% of your day choosing to invest 15 minutes alone with God. 1% of your week in gather time. Hour and a half as we gather here together. 1% of your month. It's about seven hours over the course of a month where you're doing life together with some other believers. And then 2% of your year. Seven days. And those seven days can be a seven-day mission trip. It can be some afternoons each month that you engage in one of these local ministries, crossing cultures with the gospel. But I want you to think about the impact of what we're talking about. Let's just say, to use a round number, let's say that today 2,000 people embraced the challenge to the 5% life. And next year, those 2,000 people all gave seven days investing in crossing cultures with the gospel. You can do the math. That's 14,000 days. Now, if you divide that by 365, it's over 38 years. Here's what that means. Next year, 2,000 of us, just giving 2% of our year, could do 38 years worth of crossing cultures with the gospel. If we just start with a 5% life as a beginning place. And as it grows from there, think about how the mission could be exponentially accomplished if this moment became a movement of disciples making disciples making disciples. So here's the way we're going to ask you to accept this challenge. When you came in today, in the seat pocket in front of you, there's a card that looks like this, and I want everybody to grab it. It simply has those four times, God time, gather time, group time, go time. Here's what's about to happen. I'm going to ask you if today you're willing to accept the challenge to the 5% life as a minimum. You may already be past that, but as a minimum, you're saying, I'm in. 1% of my day, 1% of my week, 1% of my month, 2% of my year. I want you to put your name and email address at the bottom of this card. Just put your name and email address. You may be a regular tender here at Hope. You may be a guest. That's okay. Doesn't matter. Anybody can be a part of this. And then our worship team, in just a moment, (coughs) we're going to all stand. We're going to sing a song of worship together. And while we're singing, here's what I want you to do with that card. We have six stations along the front up here on these tables. There's some little bowls. And I'm going to ask you to just come while we're worshiping. This is not a moment to slip out early, all right? So don't think that way. It's a moment to respond. Remember, we've come together to worship and respond. I want you to come and drop this card in one of these bowls. And then, all across the front of the stage, we have these packets I want you to pick up. If you accept this challenge today, you pick up one of these packets that says the 5% life. And we've given you some resources in here to help you in every one of these four times. God time, gather time, group time, go time. In here is, for example, for God time, we've given you a book that's written by A.W. Tozier that will help you as you begin to spend time with God daily. We've given you a worship CD in here to help you with gather time, some of the songs that we sing out of worship. All that is in one of these 5% packs and more. So if you're accepting that challenge today, you're going to come, you're going to drop your card in one of these bowls, you're going to pick up one of these 5% packs, and then here's what you're going to do. You're going to move back to your seat, and you're going to join with us in worshiping God together. If that makes sense, say amen. All right? Now, we're going to have a couple of pastors down here right at the steps. 
If you're here and you want one of them to pray for you, they're here to do that. But for the rest of us, it's about this 5% moment that we're praying becomes a movement.